So if you guys are taking notes this morning, the title for my study today out of Luke's gospel, chapter 13, beginning with verse 18, the title for my study today is narrow is the way. Narrow is the way. And I want to read to you guys the portion of scripture that we're going to be reading today. We're going to go through verses 18, from verse 18 to the end of the chapter today. So let's read this. It says in verse 18, Then he said, What is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and put in his garden. And it grew and it became a large tree, and the birds of the air nested in its branches. And he, again he said, To what shall I liken the kingdom of God? It is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leavened. And he went through the cities and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. Then one said to him, Lord, are there few who are saved? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open for us. And he will answer and say to you, I do not know you where you are from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know you where you are from. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and yourselves thrust out. They will come from the east and the west, from the north and the south, and sit down in the kingdom of God. And indeed, there are last who will be first, and there are first who will be last. I'm going to stop there this morning. Now, We've been watching as Jesus is doing his ministry here on earth, preaching, teaching, and healing where he goes. And he would often give his disciples and the Pharisees and the crowds, the multitudes, the parables to hear. He would give them illustrations. And if you guys didn't know this, one of Jesus' most favorite themes to teach on was the kingdom of God. Let's look at verse 18 one more time. It says, then he said, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? Now, he's giving these parables, which the parables are earthly stories. They're illustrating heavenly truths. And, the, and teachers can tell, I, we can tell when people are engaged or when they start to enter into NASA airspace. I can see it. Uh, but that's okay, you know, I, 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 don't, I know what it is to sit under awesome teachers, and no matter how great the study might be at times, the flesh is weak, and it's like, oh man. So what I see Jesus do to maybe get people's attention is he'll tell people a story, 
They give them an illustration and it really grabs their attention. And these are all used to help them better understand heaven. Now, before I go any further, there's one thing I, I, I really want to ask that the Holy Spirit would help us in this morning is to learn from him. So I'm going to pray one more time before I dive into this text. And we're going to ask that God would give us illumination. Heavenly Father, I pray, Father, that you would illuminate the text to us this morning. I pray, Father, that you would help us, Lord, to understand those things in our life, Lord, that you're calling us to. The things in our life, Lord God, that you want us to walk away from, Lord. The things that you want to encourage us in. And Father, may we just take your word, Father, at truth. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, keep in mind, the scriptures, they're written for the believers. Yes, non-believers, when they hear the word, they're, they're saved. But the scriptures, primarily, they're written for us to grow in. And the reason why we know this is true is because only the spiritually minded can understand the things that are spiritual. So when Jesus is giving these illustrations, he's giving them so that for some people who thought the gospel was foolishness, they wouldn't understand. In Luke's gospel, actually in chapter 8, verse 10, there's a verse that Jesus says, to you, it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest, it is given in parables that seeing they might, may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now, with the parables, honestly, when I, when I study the parables and when I'm about to teach the parables, something I realize is that people actually uh, have different views on what the parables are, are trying to say to us. And I'm, I'm very careful on how I, I approach a parable. But something that, uh, as I've, I've studied the word, there's something I want to encourage us and show us today is this term called expositional constancy. So this is what that is in the Bible. In the Bible, when you see a symbol is used to represent something in a passage, that means that symbol is used in the other passages to represent the same thing. So, and it's only when it's in a non-literal sense. So example, when we see Jesus talking about the field, that's a symbol of the world. When he talks about the seed, he's talking about God's truth. And, and yet it's multiplied and you constantly see that. And it's a neat lesson to, to know and to understand because in look at verse 19, he's going to give us a parable now. The kingdom of heaven, it is like a mustard seed which a man took and put in his garden and it grew and became a large tree and the birds of the air nested in its branches. So there's some symbols here given to us this morning. Number one, the mustard seed and the mustard seed. It's a very small seed. Now what's interesting is that when this gardener put the mustard seed in the ground, mustard seeds, when you see them grow, they're, they're really just shrubs. They don't grow into trees. So what it's describing here is something that's an abnormal growth. 
Something where this little small seed, which should be only a, a shrub, is turning into a, a very big tree. Now, what this is representative of is church growth. With that little small seed, that the word, the power of it, we can see the church can grow exponentially and, and vastly. And that's what we saw, saw with the apostles. They started to write their letters and, and we have the New Testament and then the church began to grow. Now, the next thing that comes in, into question then is, well, okay, what are the birds that are in these trees? Because some people are like, oh, well, the birds, are, it's going to show how the church has such an awesome safety net and, and it's gathering people in and it covers, you know, the, the people. But do you guys remember there's another parable where it talks about a bird? I don't know if you guys remember there's a parable of a, with, and there's a bird in it and what that bird does. Do you guys remember the parable of the sower? And he's sowing seeds. And do you guys remember what the bird did in that parable? It snatched the seed away. It did. In that parable, Jesus explained it clearly that the bird was Satan, his demons, taking away the seed. So what we see here is a small seed truth, abnormal growth just blowing up. But then what do we see nesting inside of this church growth? Birds. So my first point today, point number one, Satan attacks from within. Now, there are people who believe that this parable is actually, what it's actually saying is that this is the kingdom age, that it's growing exponentially, and that we're already living in the kingdom age today. That we're already in the age where, where that Jesus is, is already reigning on earth somehow, and that we're basically walking into the millennium. And they take scripture very allegorically. They don't believe in rapture. And they just think things are going to get better and better and better. But what, what do we see in, in our news today? What do we see? Do we see things getting constantly better and better? Or do we see things are getting worse and worse, especially here in California, right? Things are getting worse. And then you look around the world and, and things are not getting better. What we need is we need Jesus to return. We need him literally to come back for his church. So be careful because there are going to be these birds in the church. And Satan, first he tries to attack from the outside and he tried to kill the martyrs. He did kill some of the martyrs, but they went to heaven and he saw, man, when, when I take the life of one martyr, it seems like five more people become Christian after that. So because he couldn't, attack completely from the outside, Satan said, said, Satan said okay, I'm going to join the church. I'm going to become part of them. I'm going to give them lies and falsehoods. And you know what? Sometimes in life, maybe you think, oh, like, I can spot a bird. I can spot him from a mile away. And then we, all of a sudden, we become bird hunters. We're like, no, there are people in my, not in my church. And then we start condemning people in the church because we're like, oh, that, that person's a bird. You know, one time in my life, I, I experienced there, there was an individual who some may have considered a bird. I'll, I'll say that. Some had some flesh that was kind of seen in other people's lives. 
And I was exhorted once to look for, you know, the good in people because we're, we're not God. We, can, we can't just be so judgmental. We need to be discerning. I remember there was a, a gentleman who every Sunday when I went to my, my past church, he would always get me these breakfast sandwiches every Sunday and was loving on me and loving on me for, for some time. And one, one day I was in a conversation where people were kind of talking about this individual. And I kind of was like, you know, like hearing what they said, not that it wasn't true, some of the things that they were saying. But I said, you know, the influence that guy had in my life was every Sunday that guy would get me breakfast. And, you know, I'm not saying you guys are wrong. But, you know, I, I want to be careful before I become so judgmental with my friends and family, my spiritual family here. But we also, at the same time, we don't want to be so undiscerning that we're just going to allow anyone who could come in here with doctrine that's going to get us off, off base. So if I, I, if I see someone coming in and I'm like, definitely the Lord gives me discernment that he's a bird, I'm going to say, Howard, take him out. And Howard's going to take him out. I don't know if you guys saw recently too, there's people who are lying about what the gospel message is. And this came across, I don't know if you guys saw this, uh, Kathy Hochul, I don't know how to say your last name correctly, governor of New York, went out there uh, up and started to say, be my apostles. God wants you to get the vaccine. So be my apostles and, and tell people that this is basically what God desires for your life. Now, I'm not, not going to talk about whether you should get the vaccine or not. I'm not saying that right now. What I, what I am saying is that people should not use the word of God the way she used it. That's blasphemous. Continuing on, look at now the first parable. Let's look at the second one in verse 20. And again, he said, to what shall I liken the kingdom of God? It is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leavened. Now, leaven is an ingredient that actually is, it's made of bacteria and they, they use yeast that bakers use. In order, they, they put it in the dough and it gives, instead of having pita bread, the pita bread starts to rise and you have like more of a doughy substance then. And that's what it does. It causes the, the dough to rise. Now, when you're using the yeast and you're rolling the dough, you, you create it and you put some of it in the oven. If you only save a portion of that, that yeast with the bread, the dough, if you just save a small portion of it, you could put that in the next portion of dough, mix it all up, and then do the same thing, take that portion out, bake it, and then you still have a leftover dough with the yeast in it, and the bacteria continues to just multiply. It's kind of interesting. But Jesus used this as an example. Now, there's going to be people who will look at this parable and say, oh, this is, again, this, the, the leaven is like the word and the way it spreads, and, it, and it's just the word is spreading everywhere, and the church is growing again. But there's another portion of scripture, and we have to use scripture to measure scripture, that Paul talks about leaven being like sin. It's a very clear illustration. So with this, the leaven here, because it's like the kingdom of God, what we see is the church is growing, but there's leaven in the church. There's compromise. You see, because a little sin corrupts the whole body. 
You know, if I gave you a cup of water and just said, hey, uh, look, here's a fresh batch of water, but I'm just going to put a little drop of poison in it. Did you guys take it? No, right? Because it's now corrupted the whole body. Which leads me to point two. Don't compromise. You know, maybe in our, in our life, when we go throughout our day, Satan tries to tempt us. He tries to allow struggles to come back in our life. Oh, it's just, it's just a cigarette or it's, it's, it's just a, a sex scene in a movie. You know, it's just one beer. But that one turns into two and then all of a sudden we're back falling into our, our enslavement again to sin. And it seems like backsliding can get easier and easier and our hearts get callous to it. But what, the end of that all is just death. That's where sin leads to. So we can't allow compromise in our life. So how do we overcome these vices in our life? We know that the Bible teaches that when we submit to God, resist the devil and he will flee. It says that in James 4, 7. But we can't allow compromise in our hearts. This past Friday, I got together with the men and we talked about sexual sin. We talked about sexual immorality and we went over steps that we as believers can do to overcome these things. Because this church here, look, we're, we're sinners and we're trying, we're striving for holiness and we're striving after Jesus. And that's the difference between people of the world who aren't following after Jesus. They're just living in sin, practicing it. They're continuing it. Whereas we are striving to be holy. We're striving to be imitators of Christ was last Friday's message. To be like Christ, to follow after him. And when I, when I truly think about what's called gray areas, right? There's those gray areas maybe that we say, oh, well, you know, for, for me, that's a gray area. I don't think God really cares about that thing. When I, when I look at what the word teaches, there are no gray areas. And here's why. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 31 through 33, it says this. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God, just as I also please men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many that they may be saved. Now with this verse, what I see is we're supposed to do all things unto the glory of God. So what this tells me, if I'm doing all things unto the glory of God, that means that all of a sudden, the most common things in my life, taking the trash out, picking up groceries on the way home, because God has sanctified me, the Holy Spirit is living through me, that action is now sanctified. So the most common things in life are sanctified now. So the things that we think are common, God has called us to them. I've been called to be a HVAC technician. That's my calling. And when I'm out there sweating on the roof sometimes, taking out dirty filters out of units, 
Maybe I'm going to complain, but I'm like, Lord, God reminds me. He says, Salvador, who are you working for? Are you working for me? Are you working for yourself, for your company? I say, Lord, I, I want to work for you. And I want to be responsible and show my company, like, yeah, this guy's a Christian. He's responsible. And then suddenly now, the other, we'll call them gray areas, if God hasn't called us to do them and we're continuing in them in sin, then we're off base. Then we're not walking with God. We, we break that fellowship with Jesus. Now here, I'll, I'll also put this into consideration. For certain people, they have different convictions that the Lord puts on their heart. And I'm not going to lay my conviction on someone else's life. But if that person doesn't follow the conviction that God has put in their heart, then they're in sin. So there's no gray areas. You're like, well, Pastor Sal, do you really think that God cares whether I have Captain Crunch cereal in the morning for breakfast or uh, French toast crunch, cinnamon toast crunch, was it? <laughs> and you, you know what? Those are those things that God's going to say, hey, man, to the glory of God, you can have whatever you want, bro. And it's a positive thing. So God, you are glorifying God by taking care of yourself, feeding yourself. And there's things that we're, we're called to live this life. We're called to be artistic and to be the individual that God created us to be. But there's things in life even that are good that God hasn't called us to. And when we're starting to do those things that we're not called to do, that God's like, hey, I, I didn't call you to do that. And we're becoming stressed and unfulfilled. Yeah, we're, we're, we're not walking with God in those things. So it's not a gray area anymore. It's like you're, you're out of the will of God. God allows those things to happen, but you're now out of his will. So let's walk away from thinking like, oh, that's a gray area. God's not okay with it or, he, or he's, you know, okay with it. It's either God's all for it, like, hey, to the glory of God or God's against it. And let's start to view our actions that way and consider now every, all of a sudden, I was talking about this with my wife last night. All of a sudden, everything that I do now, I'm like, man, all right, Lord, is this because of you that I'm doing this or, or is this because I'm walking away from you? In verse 22, and he went, Jesus went through the cities and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. So, at this point now in time, Jesus is headed towards something. He's headed towards Jerusalem. Why is he headed there? He's heading for the cross. Throughout scripture, you'll see that Jesus at certain times will say, my time has not yet come. He said it to his mother when his mother wanted him to help out at the wedding. He said, mother, my time has not yet come to be revealed yet. And, and he would say that again, okay, my time has not yet come. So he would hide himself from certain crowds at certain times. But now, as you continue to see in Jesus' life, he's going to start to say, my time is coming. My time is near. My time is at hand. What he's referring to here is the time when he's going to take on the sins of the world on the cross. In verse 23, then one said to him, Lord are there few who are saved? And he said to them, 
Strive to enter the narrow gate. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. So for my third point this morning, few will be saved. I wanted to, to research and look up how many Christians are in the world, and this isn't even devout Christians. This is just self-proclaimed Christians. You know, there's 2.38 billion people who are proclaimed Christians in the world. 2.38 billion. But do you guys know how many people are living today in our world? Around 7.7 billion. So that means about 30% of people proclaim to be Christians. That's, if there's 10 people here, then three of them are proclaiming to be Christians. The other seven are not walking with God. Now, out of those three people who are proclaiming to be Christians, I question and wonder, are they saved? Are they going to be like the people who we're going to read about who are knocking, Jesus, let me in. And Jesus says, I don't, I don't know you. So now we're, well, maybe we're down to one out of 10 people. Because it usually, what I've seen is that really it's in the minority of the people who are truly walking with the Lord. I don't know if you guys saw this recently. Bruce Jenner or Caitlyn Jenner, whatever, spoke about hoping that he makes it into heaven. And he was with this interviewer on Fox News and in tears, talking about how he met with his pastor and was just hoping that when he gets to heaven that that God is going to say, come inside. And, and, and as he's getting emotional and having these feelings, uh, I, I sensed a, a reality to what he was. He wasn't just putting on a show. He was literally concerned. But he s- started to share that he was having this conversation with this pastor that he had, that for him, he needed to do the right thing and to be true to himself by coming out as this transgender. But what I see is that sometimes people get the wrong idea of that being authentic is the highest virtue that they can have. That being true to yourself is the right thing to do. So if I feel like I'm a leprechaun, then I better be like a leprechaun and I need to be true to myself. I'm definitely getting canceled today on YouTube. (laughs) A lot of times our authentic self is sinful. The things that we, we like try to fight for sometimes and we're wrong in doing so and we get angry and we're just like, oh, like we're just like, no, I'm right. And this is what I need. That's our authentic self coming out. It's, it's sinful and that's the part that needs to die. So it's not just being true to yourself. That's not what the gospel message teaches. That's a lie from hell that if you're true to yourself, you're going to make it into heaven. It's this idea that, oh, you know, all good people, God will just accept them in because they were true to themselves. And people think that, well, if you just follow the rules, and this is what Christians even are starting to believe. If you just follow the rules, then you get into heaven. But that's not what the Bible teaches. 
The Bible teaches us that we are saved by grace through faith and that not of yourselves. You see, it's grace. It's Jesus that he took our sins upon himself, died on the cross so that we can then get into heaven. Because in order to get into heaven, the requirement is perfection. And none of us are perfect. So we need our sins removed. And Jesus took those sins Jesus says, look, strive to enter. And and I think, you know, what does it mean to be a Christian? Literally, what what does it mean when we we are saying, "I, I am a Christian? When you accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, the self has to die. And often I have to check myself when, If I'm ever giving an an altar call, I need to remember that people need to realize that when they are accepting the Lord, they are repenting of their sin. They are saying, look, I am a sinner and I, and I need a savior. And they don't, they can't just say, okay, like, I can't just say, hey, who's sad today? Just raise your hand and I went out and receive Jesus into your life. It's like, yeah, like there's people who are sad and they might raise their hand, but do they understand and realize, do they realize that they need a a savior and that they need to die to themselves, repent and follow after Jesus? It's picking up your cross daily. In verse 25, Jesus says, when the master, when once the master of the house has risen up, and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door saying, Lord, Lord, open for us. And he will answer and say to you, I do not know you where you are from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know you where you are from. Depart from me all you workers of iniquity. Wow, that's a scary thing to read, even as a believer. It's like, man, Lord, okay, help me not to be that person. Help me to be truly abiding in Christ, which leads me to point four. Truth supersedes feelings. Truth supersedes feelings. You know, when I look at some of the, the churches today that, that kind of focus more so on, on feelings rather than on the word. I get concerned and, and sometimes saddened, a lot of times saddened. And the reason being, just recently, uh, this past week, actually, uh, if you guys know uh, of Hillsong Church, the head pastor, Brian Houston, was charged with, with concealing child sex offenses. And it's like, man, and that, that was, it was things that were taking place all the way from the 1970s. That his father was abusing nine underage boys and it wasn't just once. So more recently he stepped down from the church board. I'm like, man, like what happened? Cause I, I don't think he signed up to be a pastor so that he can hide schemes. I think there was something that got him off base. 
In that same church, uh, just last year, Carl Lentz, you know, he was Justin Bieber's pastor and they were out there, you know, maybe Justin Bieber got saved. I'm not sure. You know, I, I pray for that guy. Or I should at least. But Carl Lentz stepped down last year from being a pastor at Hillsong Church because he got caught up having an affair. And then more recently, now it seems like there's sex abuse charges from other women that were part of it. And I'm like, man, that's, that's terrible. That, those are, but at the same time, when I, when I used to see some of the other things I would hear about Hillsong, I, I wasn't so surprised. I wasn't, honestly. But one did surprise me last year that broke my heart. You guys might know about this because I looked up to this guy and he was like, I would listen to his studies and I would take some of his teachings and I would apply them. Ravi Zacharias, man, a great apologist who, who spoke truth but could not apply it to his own life. Does it discount the truth that he was speaking? No, it doesn't discount the truth that he was speaking. But what we see is a man who, who couldn't take that truth and apply it to his own life. And that one, I was like, man, because I, I, I thought, you know, that guy seemed like he knew what was going on spiritually. And you, in our church today, there, there, or not our church here, but in the overall church of the world, there are gospels that are now walking away from the true living gospel. Maybe you guys have heard of even the prosperity gospel, which teaches that if you just have enough faith, you're going to have the finances that you desire, the, the marriage that you desire if you just have enough faith, the cars, the houses, and you could have these things. If you just have enough faith, God is going to bless you with those things. But that's not what the Bible teaches. So when I see churches that are doing this, and I, I don't think they're all lost that, who are part of those churches. I don't. I, I think they're a little, they've gotten off doctrine. And I think that they've allowed their feelings to supersede the truth, the gospel, the word of God, the Bible. Their feelings have superseded it and it's caused them to get off track. So remember, experience, it's great. Emotions are great. And feelings too. I love it when, I, when God, just the Holy Spirit is like hitting my heart as I'm doing worship. And I feel like, okay, I'm crying, but I can't let people see. <laughs> and, and I, and I got to sing still at the same time. And I'm trying to keep my voice accurate. Because I, I know that God is speaking to me in those moments. And I love that. And I'm not going to take away from that. I'm not going to take away from the gift of tongues of what the Bible teaches. But I'm not going to allow my experiences to supersede the word. In verse 28, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and yourselves thrust out. Whew. This is the people who are knocking. Lord, we were, we were doing all that work for you, Lord. You saw us on TV. Which leads me to point five. Hell is real. Hell is a real place. Weeping and gnashing of teeth is this complete separation from God. Darkness, the, the, the flame that lasts forever. 
it'd be a sin for me as a pastor to not teach you guys about hell. When I, when I think of hell, I'm reminded of the account of Lazarus and the rich man. You guys know this story. Lazarus was a beggar. He was out there on the streets. He had sores on his body and the dogs would lick his sores at night. And he, he would long for food. And there was a rich man who would have these parties at his house every night. And back then they used to use the bread as actually napkins, like kind of like the pita bread. They would use it, wipe their hands off, and they would throw that bread out of the party. And the dogs would come and pick it up. And Lazarus would come who was poor, and he would pick up that bread that people just wiped their dirty hands on, and he would eat it. That was his substance, his sustenance. And in one night, both Lazarus and the same rich man, they perished in one night. And all of a sudden, when they opened their eyes in the spiritual realm, Lazarus was in Abraham's bosom, being comforted in the, in the place of paradise, that place of, of peace with Abraham. Whereas the rich man was in hell and in torment. Now, this is before Jesus came, died, resurrected. That hell was one compartment. On one side, you had Abraham's bosom, the place of comfort. Separating them was a big gulf. And then on the other side was a place of torment. Now, when the rich man, he's in the flames, he calls out, he sees Abraham. He says, Abraham, somehow he knew who Abraham was. Because perhaps we have this knowledge that's given to us, that's supernatural. He says, I'm burning in this fire call Lazarus out, have him dip his finger in the water and put it on my tongue because I'm in flames. So what does that tell us when we see that? First of all, the rich man, he could see, he could feel. And he, he has all the, the senses that God has given us, it still exists in the afterlife. But Abraham calls out to the rich man and says, hey man, Lazarus has been comforted now. In his life, he wasn't. And you in your life, you who had all the comforts of the world, you didn't follow after God. And there's no way that Lazarus can go over to the other side to do that. So what we see is eternal separation now, eventually, Abraham, Lazarus, they got taken out of the, Abraham's bosom. They're in heaven now to be absent from the bodies, to be present with God. But hell is still a very real place. And there's going to come a day when God is going to take hell and he's going to throw it into the lake of fire. So these are the warnings that we have to take. And, and also keep in mind, we, we've got people in our life that we want to help get out of hell. Not literally, but in our life today, living and we want to keep them through Jesus, not us, from ever experiencing that. In verse 29, they will come from the east and the west, from the north and the south, and sit down in the kingdom of God. So when I, when I see this now, Jesus, what he's talking about, he's talking about the kingdom age. This past Wednesday, if you guys were here, we, we kind of talked and saw 
a little bit of what's to come in the kingdom age, that we are literally going to return with Jesus. When Jesus comes back to this world, he's not coming as the sacrifice anymore. He's coming as judge. And for us believers who are raptured up with him, when we come back with Jesus, when he's on that white horse, we're going to be coming as conquerors to destroy the ungodly. In Jude chapter 1, verse 14, I'll share this verse with you. It says, Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men, also saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly, among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way. And all of the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Now, there's other verses too that I I don't have time today to go over, but that show us that we are going to return with Christ and be his warriors. So I'll I'll put them up here real quick. I'm not going to say them to you, but in Revelation 19 verses 9 through 14, Deuteronomy 33 verses 1 through 2, And Joel chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, all those verses right there talk about us coming back with Christ. And that's the kingdom age to come. Which I hope when that day comes that the Lord gives me as my weapon some sort of crazy guitar that's like when I hit the guitar strings, it just blows the enemies of God up or something. Now in point six, point six, God's kingdom is coming. In verse 30, Jesus says, And indeed, there are last who will be first, and there are first who will be last. You see, there's a time in everyone's life when that door is shut. We all have our appointed day. You know, uh, and... My friend Ruben, who's uh, Ida's husband... I got to, over the last uh, few months, get to just to know him greatly as a brother. Actually, he started right at the beginning of this church in June. Um, he called me up one day and said, hey, I hear you're a pastor who's starting a church. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. And then he, he started to talk, and then he didn't stop talking. <laughs> and then it was cool, and I listened. And, and you know, he, he blessed the church, helping us out with some of the sound equipment that we use. And... and as time over the last few months recently, his body, the Lord decided it was time for him to go home. And I I was blessed to be able to be there over the last several weeks to pray with this man. And every time I talked to him on the phone, it just amazed me how he was always saying, man, uh, pastor, I am speaking to everyone who comes across my bedside, to the nurses and all these people, and God is using me, and I know God has a plan. I know God has a plan. And, and I, I, every time I talked to him, I was like, man, this guy's got so much joy. Though, though the world was, for him, the, the body was fading. His joy, the, the Lord, his spirit was being renewed day by day. And God knew his son was coming home. And when I think of that, I'm like, man, Lord, there's going to be people in heaven who 
Sometimes we think the, the, like the guys who are most well-known in Christianity are going to be the ones who are first. And they're going to be the ones who are like, oh, like they get like so many uh, gifts. When Jesus says this, there are last who will be first and first who will be last. I'm reminded of Reuben, who, who was that guy who was just doing what God called him to do in his season. And it's like, man, that Lord... Help me just to do those things that you've called me to do. I'm going to end here this morning. I have more, but today we're going to take communion. And, and, and I, I, want to, I want to pray that the Lord would have his way with us in our lives. You see, some of the lessons that we learned today, we, we saw how Satan can try to come into our, our lives, could come into our church, so we need to flee from compromise. We're reminded that there is wrath, but we also know that God offers us salvation, that God's kingdom is coming to this world. And we could look forward to that. That when we enter those gates, that the words that we 